Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 18. So glad to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. And what, a, what an awesome place it is to be in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to be talking about the presence of the Lord today. And I hope that as we talk about this and as you, you connect worship and His presence in this message today, that uh, you'll just be excited about being in His presence. Amen. Amen. Good to have all of our guests here today. We have some from several several parts of the area and even some from out of state. Happy that you're here today. And then we're happy to have everyone here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, aren't you glad I'm here? <laughs> Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they moved and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. For God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be upon your faces, that you before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. The altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make unto me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for thou, for if Thou lift thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Worship is an amazing thing. It's amazing that you and I can give something to God. And then we get so much in return. I want to let that sink in for just a moment. We get so much in return from Him when we worship Him. The first time worship is mentioned in the Bible, the first time the word worship, I should say, is used in the Bible, that would be the more accurate way uh, because there's other forms of worship throughout uh, the Bible from the beginning. But the first time the word worship is used is when Abraham was called to Mount Moriah. And I'm not going to take a long time going into that story. Many of you know that. But if you don't know that, you can go home and read it in Genesis chapter 22. But notice what he said in verse 5. When, uh, when, he, had reached, when, he, when he was just a, a short distance from Moriah, and God called him to Moriah to offer his son as a sacrifice. He said, the lad, or I and the lad... We'll go yonder and worship and come again to you. And worship, he did. 
And he came away from that experience with an anointing and with a power and with an assurance like he had never known before. We know that because we find Hebrews eleven seventeen talks about that event and says, by faith, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. When he was tried, as if that was the only time he's ever tried. No, but that was the point that counted in his life. And then notice what God said to him in Genesis 22, 12, after he had uh, been willing to offer Isaac upon that altar. He, there in the middle of the verse, he said, for now I know that thou fearest God. I know thou fearest God. After all he had done, and after all he had lived, and after all he had gone through, at this point, God said, I know. Now I know. Remember, he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. It was a worship experience there that changed his life. W.E. Vine, a Greek uh, a theologian, he, he puts this... Uh, uh, in his Greek definitions for worship, he, he, he includes this phrase. The worship of God is nowhere defined in Scripture. A consideration of the above verb shows that it is not confined to praise. Broadly, it may be regarded as the direct acknowledgement of God, of his nature, attributes, ways, and claims, whether by the outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deed done in such acknowledgement. Now, now to put that in, just write down uh, words, write down where we live. Basically, what he's saying and what the truth is in the matter is there is no certain list of actions and no certain list of observations that we say this is worship and that everything outside of that is not worship. You see, worship is bigger than definitions. Worship goes beyond a special day. Worship goes beyond a special time. I'm so glad that we have a time to come together at 1030 and uh, every week we come together and worship him together. But you see, worship, this is not all that there is to worship. This is not the sum and substance of worship. This is just one little tiny part of worship. Jesus tied worship and service together when he responded uh, to Satan, when Satan was tempting him in Luke chapter 4 and verse 8. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You see, Jesus tied service and worship right together. And so when we consider worship, we understand that, uh, that uh, worship is not just uh, what we do when we lift our hands. It's not just when we sing, the, sing together. It's not just when we come together. It's not even just when we pray at home. And now that's a part of it. But you see, worship is bigger than that. Jesus, Jesus even brought a new dimension of worship to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Uh, she said, uh, uh, and, and again, that's another story that you may want to read uh, this afternoon or sometime this week in John 4, but I'm going all the way to the 19th verse where in the middle of their conversation, she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's emphasizing the ritual of worship. She's emphasizing that uh, there's a certain place to worship. We think 
that uh, we that we think the Samaritans that you should worship in Mount Gerizim. You say we should worship in Jerusalem. But then Jesus answered her in verse 21 and said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor at nor yet at Jerusalem, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. For ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers, everyone say true worshipers, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. You see, worship moves beyond the church. It moves beyond the ritual of a service. It moves beyond just a certain day, Easter, Sunday, Christmas. But Jesus was teaching that worship, it's coming from your relationship with God. It comes from your heart. You'll be responding to Him in your work life. You'll be responding to God at school. You'll be responding to God everywhere you go. He says, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. It's a small s. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit. It's you and in truth. Basically, what I'm getting to is worship. Worship. Your worship determines your relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, said it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your response to God. You're giving your body, giving your life to Him. That's what worship is. When you go down the street and you represent Jesus Christ, your lifestyle, your attitude, your actions, your thoughts, the way you conduct, that's worship. That's a part of your worship. It's more than just a prayer meeting. It's more than just a church service. It's more, it's it's everything we do, and, and it includes that relationship with Jesus Christ. True worship, complete worship is total surrender to Him. Can you take everything about your life? Can you take everything that you've got? Can you take everything and can you bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, it's all yours? Because all I want to do is worship you. I just want my life to be a life of worship. In our text, we we see some interesting things about uh, worship. First of all, uh, we're we're right after uh, God had given Moses and the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. And In case you, I'm going to just run through these Ten Commandments real quickly, just in case you need reminding of them. They're not ten suggestions. Yeah, They're, it's not. It's not. It's not just a good thing to live by. It's an expectation of the child of God. The first commandment: 
concerns the object of our worship, Jehovah. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment also uh, concerns worship, the way in which God will be worshipped. Thou shalt not make unto thee graven images. We are forbidden to worship God even by images. We can't even worship the true God through an image. The third commandment concerns our manner of worship. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The fourth commandment concerns a time of worship. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The fifth commandment concerns duties that we owe to, to in our relation and, uh, and to, our, to our parents. Honor thy father and thy mother. The sixth commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's life. Thou shalt not kill. The seventh commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's morality. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The eighth commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's wealth, estate, and goods. Thou shalt not steal. The ninth commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's good name. Thou shalt not bear false witness. The tenth, commend, uh, the tenth commandment gets right down to real living. Thou shalt not covet. And after God spoke these, these uh, what we call the Ten Commandments, after God spoke these, these uh, concepts of the law, there was a phenomenal demonstration of God's power. The people were awed by the presence of God. I, 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 let me just stop here and say, I don't think we should ever lose our sense of awe of God's presence. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to be, to get used to something and, 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 and to, to get to the point where, where you just get so used to something that you just, that it just doesn't impact you anymore. Never get there with the presence of God. Always let His presence be fresh. Always let His presence just awe. Give you that sense of awe in your life. The people, notice uh, Exodus 20:18. they saw thunder and lightning. They heard the, the, the trumpet, the ram's horn. And they saw mount, uh, mountain, saw the mountain in smoke. And they trembled with fear and stayed at a distance. And they told Moses, speak, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said, don't be afraid. God's come to test you so that the fear of God may be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people, verse 21, remained at a distance. Moses approached God in the, in the thick darkness. And the Lord said unto Moses, you shall say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you in heaven. You see, they wanted God in their life. They wanted God to be a part of their life. They wanted this uh, interaction with God, but they were afraid to approach Him. They didn't, they didn't know how to interact with God. So they just wanted to use Moses as their mediator. And God then began to give them instruction on how to interact with Him. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to take for the next few moments, these, uh, these instructions that God gave the children of Israel that day and applied them to our life. And I'm talking about powerful worship. 
powerful worship. That is the title of, of my message today. Powerful worship. I have six things I want you to know about powerful worship, and I'm going to be quick. Don't worry. When, when you hear me say six things, you say, oh, my word. We know how he can go a long time on number one. <laughs> my pastor used to preach a long time. He preached a real long time. And I was sitting out there where you're sitting, and he'd say, I have four points, and, uh, and uh, he'd be... Uh, you know, he'd be 30 minutes on point number one, and I turned to my wife uh, in, in those days and said, "Man, if he spends this long on three, four, uh, or uh, two, three, and four, we're going to be here a long time. We're going to quickly go through this. Number one, worship is reserved for God only. Exodus 20, verse 23. Notice what uh, what uh, uh, God said to to children of Israel as He's trying to teach them how to relate to Him, how to worship Him." I already established that worship is our relationship with God. He says, do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. In our Christian world today, I'm not really concerned about you making another god. I'm not, I'm not really concerned about whether you're going to go home today and have you a, a golden statue in your room and you're going to pray to that. I, I doubt that any of you is even going to think about something like that. But notice the scripture says, don't make another God alongside me. In our relationship with God, he has to be the only recipient of our worship. It's okay to enjoy sports. It's okay to, to, to study and look at, uh, and look at how they do. It's okay to, to, uh, to enjoy uh, this entertainment and to look at that activity. And it's okay to, to, uh, to enjoy the things of the world around us and, and the entertainment world. And, 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 and those in themselves inherently are, are not wrong except for some of the horrible things they do. I'm just talking about the, the, the basic concept of entertainment, the, the uh, basic concept of leisure, and whether, it be, whether it be hunting or, or uh, uh, ice fishing or whatever you like to do, whether it be arts and crafts and things of that nature. But what becomes a problem is when these things become a God alongside the true and living God. In their place, they're great. But when they become so great that they take your prayer time and they take the time that you can go to church and they take the time where you can enter a relationship with Jesus Christ and they consume all your time and suddenly you don't have time to walk with the King of Kings like you used to walk. Suddenly a God has come alongside. Be careful. What do we live for? What is the purpose of your life? What is your overriding concern? Number two, worship connects heaven and earth. Notice what it says in Exodus 20, 24. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me. An altar of earth. When God created man, he took from the earth. He took, he took soil from the ground. And he's telling these Israelites, when you make an altar to me, make it an altar of earth. Because you see, worship connects heaven and earth. You want to get into the presence of the Lord? Don't go. You, you don't need to go and buy some book, some video. You don't need to go out here and try, uh, try to do it some other way. All you need to do is begin to worship. 
All you need to do is know that when you worship and when you walk with him and you move in his presence, you are connecting heaven and earth together. Psalm 8, 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Interesting thought that the, that the psalmist said here. What causes God to hear and to care about what's going on. Why are you mindful of us? Because of worship. Because of worship. What does he tell Israel in Psalm 22, 3? Thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. He dwells in. He can be found in the praises of Israel. It's worship that connects us to God. It's worship that brings us before him. It's worship that brings the power of God into situations that we don't know how to handle. There's something about praise and worship that connects the spirit world with the temporal world that we live in. The third thing I want you to know about worship is that it requires priority. In verse 24, the commandment is made to bring burnt offerings and peace offerings. Bring the sheep and the oxen. And every Israelite knew the commandment of God was clear. When you brought a sheep or when you brought oxen to God, you only brought the best. You only brought that exact sacrifice. You couldn't substitute your own thing. You couldn't substitute your own thinking. You couldn't do it your way. You couldn't do it how you wanted to do it. There was, there can be no second best. If you want to have a powerful relationship with Jesus Christ, worship must be a priority in your life. It must have a place in your life every day. It must have a part of your thinking. It must have. It must. It must uh, pervade the atmosphere that you live in. Church attendance. While well, we've already talked about that's that worshiping God is more than that. It's got to be a part of your worship. Prayer meeting, prayer time, devotions. Get alone with God. Let Him move in your heart and life. Speaking to Him, even as perhaps you're driving your vehicle, there's got to be those times in your day where you're commuting with Him because that's what worship is all about. He's got to be a priority in your life. Number four, I told you I wasn't going to dwell long on each of these. I could preach a whole sermon on each one of these. And, uh, as I was preparing this and going through this, I kept adding stuff. And finally I told myself, you got to quit. You're getting too much material. you got to quit. Number four, worship must be personal. The last part of verse uh, 24 of our text in Exodus 20. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. His name was first set in Shiloh. And then he came along and said, no, now we're going to put it in Jerusalem. And then he went to Calvary. 
And he, and he ordained that his name would not be written at Jerusalem, but his name would then be written on the hearts of men. He's not a God of thunder and lightning. He's not a God of smoke and clouds today. He's not a God that you see rumbling over a distant mountain. But he's a God that's a personal God. And he's a God that has written his name on your heart. If you've given your life to him, if you've been baptized in his name, if you, have been, if you, if you walk in his spirit, it's a personal God. You don't need to go and talk to anybody else. You can talk directly to him. You can commune directly with him. He can speak to you and he can touch your heart. You've got to have that personal God. And worship must be personal. It's great and wonderful to watch other people worship sometimes and see how they, uh, how they, how they get excited and, uh, before our kids go out on Sunday morning. We have them sitting right up here. And, and I, I like sometimes to look over there and see those kids worshiping and enjoying the presence of God. But you know what? It's not good enough for me just to watch somebody else worship. It's not good enough to, to have, our, have our, uh, our worship team and our worship leaders up here just you know, worshiping God and, and me sit back and look at them and say, oh, man, aren't they excited about being in the presence of Jesus today? They're just really worshiping great. And they should, and, and uh, we talk a lot about that around here. And when you're, uh, when you're worshiping and when you're in service, you need to worship. I'm telling you, you can't just watch people do it, but you got to get involved. you got to make it a personal thing. Now, you may not worship like I worship. I'm kind of crazy. I'm liable to do crazy things. You don't have to do crazy things. We've got people on the platform that's just as crazy as I am. They may do crazy things. You don't have to do crazy things. you just got to worship somehow, some way. Because what's it say? The last line of, of that 24th verse in Exodus 1. In all places where I record my name, I will come to thee, and I will bless thee. I will bless thee. I don't know about you, but the mess that I make out of things, I really need his blessing. I really need him to come and bless me. And so I want his name on my heart and on my life, and I want to worship him, and I want, to, I want my relationship with him to be such that he'll look down and say, hey, I got a blessing for Kurt White today. The fifth thing, I'm running out of time. Worship is not our creation. He told him in verse 25, if thou wilt make me an altar of stone." Thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. You're not gonna, you don't take it and start carving that stone and saying, I can take that stone, I can make it prettier. You know, I, I got better ideas than just that stone. I can, I can, I can, you know, notch it here and I can paint it here and I can, and I can. No, no. If he says, if thou lift thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. We have the book which tells us how to worship God. I don't need any other book. I don't need any other edition. 
I don't need anything else but this book. This tells me how to live. This tells me how to conduct my life. This tells me how to worship God. If I add anything to it, I'm polluting it. Mm. I know some people like to add things here and there and you know, say, well, you know what? It, you know, it doesn't exactly say this, but there's what we think. You know what? When we start adding to it, the scripture concept is we start polluting it. We didn't invent it. It's not our creation. It's God's. And so we just worship God according to the word of God. We just worship God the way he wants us to worship him. We, 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 we give him praise and glory. We worship him in spirit and in truth because that's what he said to do. Number six, worship brings you to God. Through worship, we draw close to God. Notice what he said in in Exodus 20, verse 26. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar. Now here, mentioned in this verse is that thy nakedness be... Uh, not discovered thereon. And, uh, th- this, in this particular instance, there was the concern of modesty and concern of proper decorum and things looking right. And we certainly still believe in modesty. And that would be a good place for you to say amen. We still believe in, in, uh, in looking right and dressing right and acting right and, and uh, treating people right and all of that. But there's another concept. There's another concept that's about steps and altars. The Israelites lived in a time where when heathens worshipped their God, they would go to what they called high places. And they would build steps and they'd make high altars. Or they would go to the highest hill or the highest mountain and reserve that high place for God. And in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that you, you'll see many times when it talks about a king and says they didn't tear down the high places. The thought and the thinking was that if we if we can get high enough up, if we can build, if we can elevate ourselves, if we can get up, we'll get closer to God and it'll be more meaningful. But all the way back at the giving of the law, God told the Israelites, no. You don't make any steps at my altar. You can't of yourself get high enough to get in my presence. And I've come to remind you today, there are no steps at the cross. At the cross of Jesus Christ, it's level ground. It's there for everybody. It, it belongs to you. It belongs to me. It, it's, it's for anyone who wants to go there. Anyone who wants to be there. There's no steps. There's no high ground there. It's all level at the foot of the cross. And every one of us can go there. And when we worship him, we bring ourselves into his presence. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Cannot be touched, which means he can be touched. 
We have not a high priest which cannot be touched. The double negative infers that there's a strong emphasis that he can be touched. Tempted at all points like we are yet without sin. Verse 16, I love this. Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace. Come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. How do I get in his presence through my worship? Whether it be worship like we're getting ready to do here, or whether it be worship at home as I conduct my life, or worship as I go through my week, it's through my worship that I move and I live in his presence. Stand with me today. Powerful worship. Powerful worship. Worship does all of that for us. Amen. And so here we are today. We're going to draw close to God at the end of this service. Some of you might need forgiveness today. You can get that through worship. Some of you might need the Holy Ghost today. You can get that through worship. You might need a special touch in your life today. Worship. Powerful worship. You might need healing. You might need just extra, extra strength today. An extra touch to give you strength for tomorrow. Whatever you need of, you can find that through worship, through powerful worship. As they lead us in worship, let's, let's gather in and let's come together and close this service with worship today. Come on down, if you will.